everyone and welcome to the social contract a commander podcast i'm mike almond and joining me is my co-host alex lap alex what's up man okay mike so we got bell bay as the commander and in your opening hand you've got a land mana crypt a signet and chancellor of the dross now chancellor of the dross is a seven mana black creature vampire for black, black, black. Okay, Alex, 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 Alex. And if you reveal it from your opening hand, each opponent loses Alex. three life and you gain that much life. <laughs> so you can play Belbe on turn one and then have six mana turn one. Mike, Belbe is Bay. I'm all about Belbe. Belbe is my best friend. Well, okay. Okay, so yes, Belbe is awesome. Uh, Alex, we have other cards that we have to talk about today, um, but I understand your excitement. Two quick things. I I want to admit uh, a mistake. I am not perfect. I failed uh, in probably a whole bunch of things yesterday, but one thing that's actually you know defined and I'm looking at in front of me, I was wrong. There's not four salamanders. There, and it, there is, in fact, 12. Um, so so Gormaldrak really- is good. Gorn yes, Bulldrag no, is the best absolutely. civic commander ever made, right? It's 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 right on line with uh with uh, the Scarecrow commander, except for not in any sim- in any way, shape, or form. Uh, so I do apologize for that. The second thing is I've been looking at a lot of Twitter and Facebook and uh you know cable news sites, and people don't want to talk anymore about politics this week. So we're gonna move on to some of the maybe less politic-oriented cards, and just kind of a potpourri of different things that are happening with this set, a couple of different cards, and then this set as a whole, and kind of isolate things. We each picked a couple of different cards that we wanted to talk about. Alex, I'm going to go ahead and let you start. Talk to me about Horizon Stone here, because this is an effect that does exist, but now it, is, it, it can exist everywhere, and I'm kind of I'm kind of excited to see where it goes. Yeah, Mike, Horizon Stone is a five-mana artifact that says if you would lose unspent mana, that mana becomes colorless instead. Now, you're right, this effect does exist. Um, it's existed in Crufix most notably. Uh, Which is in the flavor text. Yes, it's right there. Actually, like, it in, starts in the it. flavor text, it says Crufix once dreamed that he traveled beyond the edge of the world to an unfamiliar land. Curious, he picked up a rock and awoke to find it had followed him from the dream into reality. Crufix is the all-seeing god of Theros, and uh, he's the one that was able to sort of see beyond the bounds of the multiverse and see the Eldrazi, and that's why Crufix is able to maintain mana indefinitely. So we have Crufix. Crufix keeps your mana, and it has this exact effect. If you would lose unspent mana, that mana becomes colorless. We also had... Uh, mono green Omnath, Omnath the Locus of Mana, just that uh, unspent green mana doesn't empty from your mana pool. And then we also had uh, that new Red Dragon that had that same effect, but for red. Leyline Tyrant. Yes, thank you. Leyline Tyrant. But we've never had it on an artifact before. 
And to me, and, and this probably isn't very exciting to many people, to me, this is an instant colorless deck staple, right? And I think this could be a staple in certain control decks. Because oh, sure. certain control decks like to be able to play things at instant speed using things like Vidalcan Orrery and other instant speed spells where it's nice for them to to be able to cast things when they want to in response to other people's plays. And one of the the number one things that people do that everybody knows, right? You'll you want to play your bomb out of your hand. You look over to the control player, you see how much untapped mana they have. If they have two islands untapped, you don't play it. But right. in this case, the control player could be basically tapped out. Mm-hmm. But they could still be holding up mana. And that's very easy right. for you to forget. This is a very useful effect that just based on card price speculation, it seems like people aren't really that gung-ho about it. I'm very happy to get it. I'm, it's going in my Emrakul deck um, because I have a lot of extra mana that I would love to be able to transfer from turn to turn. But uh, that that was my first pick, Mike. I, I like that it's an in, the, the stone itself looks like the infinity signal. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Five mana for an effect that's an artifact. Well, most artifacts are really good about not being the amount of mana that they say they're supposed to be. And the fact that this isn't this isn't symmetrical, upwelling is a cool card. This is better. Yeah, that's three and a green, right? Right. Yeah, upwelling and, three and, and a green is for a, everybody. Shamit that says yeah. that if a player would lose unspent mana, they don't. Right. They that don't. mana doesn't right. empty from your mana pool. This this is just for you, and I'm. It's very cool Be, being able to have a, you know, the the crucifix god in every deck means that it can absolutely do some good work. It's a strong effect. It's the opposite of our uh, of our Jund Mana Burn boy from from last episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah there is that. So uh, also, I don't necessarily know that you want to put this in that deck, but that maybe that's just me. Um, one of the cards I wanted to talk about. Because it's it's not political or group hug, but I, I I think I'm starting to lean into my... I keep telling myself I like Voltron, but it's not everything that I want to do. And then all of the cards that come out that I go, ooh, this will be a cool Voltron commander. Ooh, this is a good equipment commander. Um, Bell Borka, Spectral Sergeant, two generic red-white for a legendary spirit soldier that is a star five. It does a weird effect. Note the converted mana cost of each card as it's put into exile, which I don't know that there's a whole lot of cards that say note this thing that happens. Uh, Maybe you can help me out with that. But Bell Borka, Spectral Sergeant's power, is equal to the greatest number noted for it this turn. At the beginning of your upkeep, exile the top card of your library. You may play that card this turn. I like this effect in a, okay, whatever you exile, whatever the highest power is, cool, there it is. That's that's what his power is this turn. The spells that I'm most excited to play in this deck are things like the suspend spells. Greater Gargadon is a 10-mana spell that you can suspend 10 and pay a red for. Well, when you exile it, it's a mana cost 10. When you do Heroes Remembered, a 9-mana white spell that says gain 20 life but you suspend it for 10 and pay one white to do so when you do ivory giant a seven mana 
uh, creature that when it enters the battlefield destroy all non-white creatures, but you can suspend it for five and pay one white. This is this is one of those cool. I'm going to make a very very big spirit boy, and I'm going to do it pretty easy. <laughs> I like it. It's it's a weird effect. I've never seen note the converted mana cost of each card as it's somewhere else. I, I understand there's plenty of cards that say it has protection from converted mana cost blank. There's another commander that actually came out in the set and says artifacts have convert uh, protection from spells with converted mana cost of the mana cost of that artifact, which is cool. I, I like I like effects like this where it's it's more gamey, it's more strategic. You have to actually change a bunch of stuff and you get to react to it just as much as your opponents do. Yeah, Mike, this is definitely a an interesting card. It is Boros. It's very Boros because it's real it's, Boros. It's about making a big <laughs> body. Let's let's talk briefly about what yep. that body's made of. So note the converted mana cost of each card as it's put into exile. This clause is there to basically say you don't get to exile anything before Bell Barker comes out and get the value for mm-hmm. it while he's on the battlefield. He needs to see it go to exile. As it's put into exile, yes. Yes. So the the second line is a characteristic defining ability for that defines his tough his sorry, his power. And we know that it's right. a characteristic defining ability that defines his power because we can see that his power is a star. And uh, mm-hmm. and it says that Belborka's power is equal to the greatest number noted for it this turn, referring to the first ability. Those two are are linked. And right. And Mike's right. There are there are some real shenanigans here. When you suspend a card, you'll pay the suspend cost, and you'll exile it. And the suspend cost is usually very different and much lower than its converted mana cost, if it has one, right? Because there are some suspend spells that can't be cast. They have no converted mana cost. They don't have a mana cost of zero. They don't have any mana cost. So mm-hmm. I'm talking about cards like Ancestral Vision, which mm. is a uh, instant for no mana cost that says, what is it, suspend four for a blue mana and then draw I three cards? So. Yeah. Um, that spell normally cannot be cast, right? Even though right. it has CMC zero, you would need a Cascade effect or something that let you cast it without paying its mana cost. Anyway, those cards are not really that good for about Borka, right? Because... The converted mana cost of those cards is zero. You don't want to run those. Right. You want to run the I, the big, beefy suspense spells that allow you to cast yeah. them, but you can yeah. cast them really slowly for really cheap. It's an interesting card, Mike, and you're right. It does support Voltron. Um, really, the only other commander that... This is... When, when I saw this card, I didn't really think about suspend, so it's interesting that you bring that up, but the only other commander that really supports a spend that i'm aware of is joyra um right and she's she's an is it so this uh this yeah. adds white and, and there are suspend cards in white of course so mm-hmm. you'll if you end up building this although you are building another boros uh commander oh no 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 this is I, this I'm, I'm not building this okay the only reason i'm i'm building this deck is if i if i don't get to do my arden and read a repulsa deck which I, I will make sure that happens. Don't worry about it. No, absolutely. I'm, I'm Mike, let's good. let's Don't talk about, about uh, let's talk about another Boros card. This one's a reprint. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, so Master Warcraft, uh, two generic, and then Boros Boros, so either two red, two white, or a red and a white, for an instant. Cast this spell only before attackers are declared. You choose which creatures attack this turn. You choose which creatures block this turn, and how those creatures block. So, there's a lot of cards that care about, you know, what's attacking it, and what it's blocking, and there's a lot of things that you can really screw up somebody's turn by playing around with stuff. I had never heard of this card before this set, and you pointed out to me that this is something that exists, and I'm really upset that I didn't know about it before now, Alex. Yeah, Mike, this is uh, this is Disrupticorum before Disrupticorum was a card. This was printed right. in Ravnica as part of the Boros cycle, and it got a reprint in Commander 2011, which is where I discovered it. In uh, it was in Gisela Blade of Gold Knight in her deck. I guess it was Giant Tribal, Boros Tribal. Back then, they didn't really have a great grasp on what kind of deck a deck was in Commander. Mm-hmm. But this card is is very interesting. It's it's very political, and it's it's kind of like a cross between Disruptacorum and a Lure Effect. A Lure Effect is okay. that all creatures must block this creature if able, and Disruptacorum has Goad which says uh, two different clauses for goad. The first clause is that creature must attack each combat of fable, and that creature must attack a player other than you, the controller of goad, if able. Um, so this has this is kind of a finer control to it, right? Let's go over the first part. It says cast a spell only before attackers are declared. That's going to be the turn-based action of the declare attacker step. There is... There is time before that at the beginning of combat step, which happens right after the first main phase, right? So you go first main phase, beginning of combat step. The beginning of combat step is the last chance you have to cast this spell, because once you move into the declare attacker step, the active player is going to be declaring any attackers that they have before you get priority. It's too late, right? Right. And of course it's too late because they're declaring attackers. You have no chance anymore. So we have to cast it before that. You choose which creatures attack this turn. Those creatures will attack if they're able, right? If they are tapped, they can't attack, of course. Sure. If they have a clause that they can't attack, like the like the Amonkhet gods, they can't attack okay. unless you have a certain quality fulfilled. You can't force them to attack. And then you have attack taxes right like propaganda and ghostly prison if there's mm-hmm. a attack tax that's in play and you're trying to force uh, an attacking player to attack a defending player that has say a ghostly prison style effect you can't force them to do that right you can't make them the mm-hmm. the attack has to be free and clear and then you also have you choose which creatures block this turn and how those creatures block that means that you can basically say that no creatures are going to block you can say that any number of creatures will block a single creature, and then you would decide the order of uh, of how those blockers will be uh, will be having their damage assigned. Um, it's it's a very interesting card, Mike. You just don't see it, and I think that's because it's like Disruptacorn, but you can't just turn your brain off and play this card, right? This is the, I mean, if you look at those those Boros soldiers there in the card art. 
They're they're puzzling over the war map. They're moving the pieces around. This is a thinking magic player's card. You can't just slap this on the table like Disrupt Decorum, lean back in your chair and just watch everything burn to hell. You really have to make some hard decisions, Mike. So I'm pretty sure that they're actually sitting there playing D and D. I might be wrong. I think that's Warhammer. Well, yeah, maybe. Eh, agree to disagree. <laughs> Here's my thing. Everything that you said is I I I understand it and I believe it to be 100 percent true. I think this card is immensely powerful for four mana. I didn't say it wasn't. I, like immensely though i like i said i still can't believe that i didn't know about this card considering the amount of stuff that i do that's weird in my decks master warcraft is the best fog effect oh it's a fog yeah absolutely or it is a eliminate target player potential effect or a win the game potential effect mm-hmm. you can choose to make somebody get totally blown out creature wise I love this card, and I'm so frustrated that I just discovered it. You know how people are... I, I've, I've been called a hipster by a lot of my family, and I don't know how entirely accurate it is, but leaning into that stereotype, you know how it's kind of obnoxious if there's a band that you like, and you liked them before they got really big, mm-hmm. and then it's like, hmm, this goes away? This is the exact opposite of that effect. I'm so mad. I'm so mad that I didn't know this existed. Well, now you know, and this card's cheap. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'll i recover. Um, and give me some time to recover while you talk about our last red card here. So here's Wheel of Misfortune. Two generic and a red for a sorcery. Each player secretly chooses a number zero or greater. Then all players reveal those numbers simultaneously and determine the highest and lowest numbers revealed this way. Wheel of Misfortune deals damage equal to the highest number to each player who chose that number. Each player who didn't choose the lowest number discards their hand, then draws seven cards. Alex, this is this is weird Gomblet game, which is already a weird card. It's a little bit of a gambit, right? You, you need to really yeah. have a strong understanding, first of all, of what you're gambling for, what the stakes are, and what your strategies are, right? So let's start to try to break that down here, because right, right, right. Wow, that's a wall of text. This is really confusing. I mean, let's. I let's, mean, you're you're yeah, you're aiming to be in the middle, right? Yes, that's that's exactly. your goal. You just you don't want to be the highest. You don't want to be the lowest. But how you? I mean, if you're the lowest, you just you get nothing, right? Yeah. So okay. So you got you got two. I guess you got three categories of players, right? You have right. the player who chose the lowest number, and mm-hmm. it can't be uh, it can't be less than zero. It has to be an integer, zero or greater. A, a I, positive, like, I like how they specify that. Yeah. So <laughs> if you choose the lowest number, then you get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir. That's it. Okay. Nothing bad happens to you, but that's it. You don't that's, get anything yeah, good exactly. either. Yeah. Uh, cool. Next up are the big winners. These are people who didn't choose the lowest number and they didn't choose the highest number. Those people wheel and draw seven. That's okay. that's the goal. That's what you want to have. And then the third category of players, those are the players that chose the highest number. And this includes any player, if you if you tie, you pick the same number. It's all of those players. Those oh, yeah, players yeah, will it's take each player who did yeah. or who did, yeah. Yeah. They'll wow. take that much damage and then they'll wheel. So you still get to wheel, but you also, you're hurting probably a decent amount because 
you probably picked a pretty decent sized number. Oh, I misunderstood that. At least they get the wheel at the same time. I mean, right. don't get me wrong. I mean, if if somebody says ten, and they say and they take ten, and then hey, here's your wheel, they're also probably going to be a little bit bitter at the people that pick nine and eight. So I get it. Yeah, but wow. it's, this isn't the prices, right? They didn't know you were going to pick ten. Right? No, no. It is say it one is, under uh, that, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Reverse prices, right? Somebody exactly. Dang it. <laughs> now, this this is definitely a truly interesting gambit card yeah. because you want to wheel, right? Typically, you want to wheel, although it's possible you don't want to wheel, and then maybe you pick zero, right? Because you definitely right. want to keep your hand. So there's there's a lot of interesting things. Like one of the one of the stranger things that I've been asked as a judge in relation to this card is, uh, what if I pick an arbitrarily large number, uh, uh-huh. like Graham's number? or tree of three or sure rayo's number or bigfoot or some absurdly large number number file fans will know what i'm talking about right we're talking about incredibly large numbers that are so large that they can only be defined iteratively like you have to basically explain the steps that you take to derive that number but you never write the number out, right? Graham's number is so many digits long that if you tried to think of the entire number, there would be so much information in your head that your head would collapse into a black hole. And that's not even a joke. That's These numbers are too big. The problem with picking these really big numbers, number one is you'll die, right? Yeah, there is that. Right. <laughs> but if you're immune to damage, which you can be, you know, glacial chasm. Oh, man. Yeah, that's true. Yep. Yeah. That kind of stuff. Uh, then yes, you could pick a an arbitrarily large number. However, it has to be a well-defined integer, right? Graham's number okay. is not well-defined. We have an upper bound and we have a lower bound, and they're narrowing it out all the time, but we don't know what it is. And even if we did know what it was, you couldn't write it down, which is part of secretly choosing a number. Because if you tried to write it down, right, you'd be writing until after the end of a million universes worth of time. It's not, you're not clever. I love you. I love that you love big numbers. I love that people ask me that. Thank you. We can talk about big numbers after the magic game. Just pick a trillion, right? Nobody else is going to be able to pick a trillion because nobody else, they'll die. So you're good. Just just pick a very large number, okay? So behind the scenes for everybody... I had to reread Wheel of Misfortune three times until I got it right for the actual the actual podcast itself. And even with that, and as weird as this card is, if you had given me a million or a trillion or a grams number amount of guesses to figure out where Alex was going to go with talking about this card, I was not ready for that. <laughs> um, that's I th- I'm going to give you a homework assignment, and it's on the podcast, so everybody else is going to be able to hold you to it. I want you to give me like a list of some of the weirdest questions that you've had to answer as a judge. Oh, jeez. I it, we don't have to do it today. Don't worry about it. But I, at some point, I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to you on that because that that could be pretty interesting in and of itself. Let's move on to our next cards here. I think that the professor at Tularean Community College has to be really excited because. Alex, look at all of these dual lands that he's been looking for forever. This is exactly 100% 
what he's been looking for since day one, right? Everything's cool now with all of the the enemy lands, right? Right? Yeah, Mike. So we're talking about the enemy cycle of the Bond lands, the Battle Bond lands, and they all have the clause, uh, this land enters the battlefield tapped unless you have two or more opponents. So they were designed for uh, for uh, for two-headed giant, but of course they also work in multiplayer commander. They work very well. The professor's a great guy. I love his <laughs> videos. I I was reintroduced to magic through his content years ago. Oh, um, I didn't know that. That's really cool. Yeah, I, I played magic in, in college. I don't want to go on a tangent here. On this podcast? Never! <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Uh, go so ahead. I, I, I played in, We're both guilty. I played when I was in college. Uh, the Zendikar and the Eldrazi were coming out. And, and I had seen magic cards when I was a kid, right? You know, I saw, like, the old-style magic cards. And when I went into college, I'd see, like, Emrakul, Kozilek. And th- they had numbers on them, like, 15, 20. These incredible cards. Anyway, sure. completely were way off topic. Uh, the professor's a great guy, and I, I'm not entirely sure I know exactly what you're talking about here, but it, I assume that, oh. that he wants the ABUR duels reprinted, right? Yeah, yeah, he's 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 real big on we need to have dual lands reprinted because of the amount of value and things along those lines. No, I agree. I agree. Um, and he's and he's right. He's 100% right. No, he's and right. these aren't that, because these, these yeah. aren't things where you can search for them the same way that you would want to be able to. But at least there's something. At least there's another... This is a multicolored land that has an opportunity to come into play untapped. I, right. I'm, 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 I'm in the point where I listen. I don't own a savanna. I don't own any of those things. And if you do, more power to you. At the same time, if you're willing to go and buy one, I'd, good for you. At least with these being released, it 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 narrows that gap a little bit and i'm always for that i like narrowing the gap as opposed to pushing cards to make com- commander almost a uh, closer and closer to a pay to win kind of thing i don't like that i don't think that magic is that as much as a whole lot of other games are but anytime it it throws things you know throws in some some cards that kind of push it that way my eyebrows raise a little bit and then I say, hey, calm down. And then I look at most of the white cards that come out, and I'll be like, well, they're playing it partly. I don't know. I'm, I'm happy these are out. I'm, I'm glad that they're there. It makes fixing on decks a lot easier, and that's always nice. Yeah, I agree with you, Mike. Uh, once upon a time, the enemy cycles weren't getting printed. And when I say enemy mm-hmm. cycles, I'm talking about Orzov, it Golgari, Boros, and Simic. Um. Because when Wizards prints cycles of dual lands, they'll typically they'll print the Allied cycle, which is the five guilds I didn't mention. And right. they'll come out with new ones, and they'll come out with new ones, and they'll come out with new ones. And they would rarely finish the cycle by printing the enemy set. And mm-hmm. over time, this accumulated. Uh, Commander didn't exist, obviously, when they started doing this. But over time... This became more and more of a problem of commander players who are in the enemy guilds because fixing in allied guilds was easy. There was like 20 cycles. And then in the enemy cycles, there was like four. Now they have printed more since then. It's not as bad as it was. And adding these does add more fixing for enemy guilds, which is great. However, Mike, I look at these cards and I'm going to be honest. 
I'm going to say the same thing that I said when they came out in Battlebond, when the Allied Cycle came out. Sure. They're good. They come yeah. in untapped and they tap for one of two different colors of mana. Most of the time. Yeah, most of the time. A shock is better than any of these lands with its feet flat on the ground, Mike. Oh, sure. Shock sure. lands I, beat yeah. these things half to hell. And it's it really annoys me personally. This is this is my pet peeve. Number one is is the reserve list, which we won't get into. That's a huge whole thing. But what they what they easily, easily, easily could have done is they could have printed these cards exactly as they currently are and given them the fetchable basic land types. It would have been fine. I assert it would have been fine. They would have cost 10 times more on the secondary market, but it would have been fine. You know, if it if they were if they were fetchable lands by land type, even if it wasn't both land types or that even if it was, but there was still a chance that it could come in tapped. I think that would I think that would get by. I don't know. These I, I these mean, seldom come in tapped. They only come in tapped when you're heads up one v one, or when you're at the end of a game. You don't need an untapped land anymore. Right, and and I just I don't know. I I like them, but okay. yeah, I'm with you. I'm with I, you. I'm They're, not leaping out of my chair to buy these. No, they're they're better than just about every gate, unless you're specifically <laughs> playing a gates matter deck. They are yes. better than. They're better than every land that says it comes in tapped and you gain a life or the ones that say that they just come in tapped. I'd like these better than most try lands, depending on the deck colors. Um, but especially are, these that better, deck is, are these better than lands that enter tapped and have both land types? That's the question. No, no, no. I don't think they are. No, these aren't. I mean, these aren't near triome level. They're like not the new, near the new triomes, like the triomes. Yeah, they're, they're not near that. Yeah. But they're good, you know. I, 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 if I pull some of these, if I buy a pack, and this is my rare in that pack, I'm not going to be upset, you know. I, I don't. I'm not going to feel like I lost. We're going to get into our remaining land here, which is not nearly the same thing, but it's 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 weird, and we like weird here. Uh, we're going to go to the War Room. This is a land that you can tap for a colorless mana. Or you can pay three colorless mana and tap it, or sorry, three generic mana and tap it and pay life equal to the number of colors in your commander's ide- uh, color identity, then draw a card. That's a lot of hoops to drive through to draw a card. You'd think so, Mike, but uh, on a land, mm, this is one of the best rates you're ever going to get. So let's let's talk about the the rate of of mana that you're paying to draw a card on a land, right? We have the city's blessing land from Ixalan that cost five mana and required the city's blessing, right? Colorless needs card draw so badly. At one time, I ran that land, which is an equivalent six mana to draw one card, right? It has to tap itself, and you pay five, so that's basically six. Right? That's wow. And I was prepared to pay that much. It's that has now since left my deck. But that's the rate that we're talking about. If you want to go way cheaper and talk about a rate that we're happy to pay, hmm, how do we get an effect that you want at a price that's incredibly aggressive and way lower than it would normally be? You bleed for it. Mikokoro Center of the Sea is a legendary land 
The taps for a colorless and also has the ability pay two and tap it. Each player draws a card. So yes, you can get that effect for basically three mana. Mm-hmm. If if you want it to be symmetric, which I do. Mikokura is great. It's a little pricey. I'd run that before this, and I do. But this card is not to be ignored. Because paying okay. life, as I'm sure you know in Commander, is nothing. Obviously, you're not running this in a five-color deck and paying five life every time. It's like you're not an idiot. You're not doing that. Yeah, You're definitely doing it in a one-color deck that's white or, or red. A hundred percent. This is sure. one of your utility lands in white or red. You're you're drawing a card for four mana in white and paying one life. Yes. Yes, you're doing that. And in colorless, pay three mana and pay zero life to draw a card. Uh yeah, this is immediately going in my deck, in my colorless deck. There's no damn. question. Damn. I did I damn, I didn't think about colorless. Alright. Yes. Alright, I take it back. I I've I've got, I think, one monocolored deck. And I I have way too many decks as is. I've got one monocolored deck and it's a weird Atali deck that has a whole bunch of equipment that I'm immediately going to be taking apart in the near future. <laughs> Again, people are really averse to running to running uh, utility lens, and you do have to be careful. But oh, yeah. in in a monocolor deck, you can easily afford to run, I'd say even eight utility lands, no problem. It's a monocolor sure. deck. You could run ten utility lands in a monocolor deck, depending and, on how pip heavy you are. In a two color deck, you can easily run six or seven, and in a three color deck, you can easily run five. But everyone who's like, "Oh no, you can't run more than one or two utility lands," you'll your fixing will be totally no. That's not true at all. You just right. have to you have to play your deck, goldfish your deck, figure out how many you can afford to run. It's not that many, but. The ability to draw a card off of a land, mm-hmm. yeah, you should be you should probably be running this in your mono white, mono red, and colorless deck, and maybe even your Boros deck. Yeah. I don't like the stigma against utility lands because it's less good than it than what? Like, than a colored if land. It can, right. But if it can tap four mana and has an alternate effect, you can run some of them. Yes. You can run a decent amount of them. I, I, I'm with you. I like this. You've swayed me on this card. I wasn't against it before. I was being a little bit sarcastic at the beginning, but I've, I've gone from okay, that's interesting to oh, that's pretty cool. You so just need to. You swayed me. You need to prepare yourself when you're looking at a land, a utility land especially, and you see an effect on it that isn't a mana ability. You need to mentally prepare yourself for the price shock. Because it's going to be higher than an equivalent spell, right? When you're in when you're in non-blue, you're used to paying two plus mana for a card, usually around two. So seeing four mana for a card, you're like, oh my god, four mana for no, relax, it's okay. Because you're used to paying six or two for <laughs> symmetric, right? Um, At least in that ability, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, and and one last point of clarification: When we talk about utility yeah, lands, we're only talking about lands that tap for colorless mana, and then have another effect on them. We're not mm-hmm. talking about cards like Maze of Ith and Glacial Chasm. Those no. I would classify as like spell lands. They go in a spell slot. They're not yeah. in your even though their type is land. Don't don't get that confused. They are lands. Don't consider. But when it a you're land. counting your deck out, I say I need thirty six lands. I need forty lands. 
however many lands you need. Maze of Ith is not one of those lands. It's a spell. That's right. that's all I had to say. Yes. It's worth repeating when you're talking about deck building, and it's definitely something that there's going to be a lot of decks people are going to build, whether on, whether on uh, Tapped Out or whatever source they're using. Yeah. Until these cards actually come out, and then immediately after these cards come out. Um, let's move on to easily the best white card since Smothering Tithe. Mm-hmm. And we both agree on that, but I think we both have very, very different reactions to it. Keeper of the Accord, three generic and a white for a 3-4 human soldier. At the beginning of each opponent's end step, if that player controls more creatures than you, create a 1-1 white soldier creature token. All right, seems pretty online. Seems about right. Second ability, at the beginning of each opponent's end step, if that player controls more lands than you, you may search your library for a basic planes card, put it on the battlefield tap, then shuffle your library. Alex, I don't understand. I don't understand. This is this is repeatable ramp in white. That's just for you. What? Yeah. Uh, Help. This, this, Help! This is within white's color pie. White is allowed to be at most at parity with other people and no and no uh-huh. higher to get advantage. Um, we do both agree this effect is, for white, very strong. What we don't agree on is how excited we are to run this in our decks. Mike is very excited. I, on the other hand, am not excited. I am thrilled because... This is something that I we love symmetrical effects. I have Oath of Lieges in just about every white deck that I own mm-hmm. that is white, Boros, or Jeskai. I don't own a Mardu deck yet, and I'm just realizing that as I'm saying so. I don't have an Orzhov deck. That only costs two for the group hug version. I love the symmetrical effects all the time, but man, white needs help. And the the make a token if somebody has more creatures than you. Okay, cool. That's like that's, that's I would bad. expect. It's not bad, but if this card said three generic and a white for a three four human soldier, yeah, and it was yeah. just that first ability, yeah, agreed. There are some people that would be happy with that. It would still be played, and it would still be played, yeah. and it would be a mono white creature. That's fine. Yeah, this is a card that. I would expect this to have a huge downside. I would expect it to be a 1-1, so it's really easy to kill. This is the best white card, mono white card, that has been printed since Smothering Tithe for Commander. I don't have another... I I can't think of another card that's close, which is exciting to me. Because holy cow, does white need it. On the other hand... I'm not going to be a Debbie Downer because, Mike, everything you said was correct. It is an excellent card. This is the kind of card that White has needed for a very long time. It's good that this card was printed. Now, this, oh, absolutely. this card was spoiled way back in at the end of August. So I think mm-hmm. maybe some people who aren't uh, sort of on the White hate wagon like I am might have forgotten about this card at this point, right? It was spoiled so long ago, uh, over two months ago now, but it it is part of this set. It's part of Commander Legends. And whereas Mike sees this as, as like a shining jewel of something that's very special, 
I see this as something that is very of hope old, of hope. Of hope. <laughs> this is very overdue for white. This is the kind of effect that white should have yeah. gotten three plus years ago. This is the kind of white card that needs to go in your deck. It, you're not excited. I'm not excited to put this card in my deck. I need to put this card in my deck. And I'm not sad because, right. oh, it's so powerful and the power creeps powering it up and, oh, white is getting too strong. That's not the problem at all. Because <laughs> no when one I talk about need to put it in the deck, that's because when you look at four drops that mm-hmm. give you mana value in white, this is the second one that you put in your deck. This is oh, yeah. the second best four CMC white ramp spell that has ever been printed. There are 25,000 magic cards in this game. And, right. And it just got printed right now. So if, if the second best white ramp spell in the four CMC slot ever just got printed, why am I not happy? No, I, I, I get that. And like, don't get me wrong. I think third on that list of ramp spells in white is... I mean, in my opinion, it's Oath of Leeches. It's probably Oath of Leeches. And then I think the fourth one is Burnished Heart, and yeah, it's an artifact and it's colorless. Yeah, that doesn't it, count. It it goes in every white deck, so I'm, I know it does. I'm giving it, it a count. half point. <laughs> no, I'm with you. I I get where you're coming from. I I am jovial as this is a. I don't think of this as the end of trying to make white better. I think of it as a sign of good things to come, which is why I'm excited. Also, I like running white. I like splashing white in a bunch of decks, and it always hurts because I'm basically saying, I would like to challenge myself. Um, this is a card that at least makes that challenge a little bit easier, but I get where you're saying. It's it's a, okay, well, this is a card I need. Great. I want you to, and we've, I want you yeah. to keep this card in your mind. Uh, and I'm gonna, I'll, I'll of course let you finish. I want you to keep this card in your mind, the the power level of this card, as we as we continue in our in our set review here. But please, I'm sorry, finish your sentence. That's no, no. That's actually a good transition because that's what I was going to go into. And as excited as I am for Keeper of the Accord to be a card that exists, and for it to be a card that exists in this set, it's still not even close to the power level and the best card that this set has to offer <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, especially when you're talking about just the new cards. So we're going to move on to some of those cards. Alex, do you want to talk about these as a group or do you want to talk about them individually? How, I'd, I'd like to how, talk how about them about to, together. So let's, let's talk okay. about this. We have two cards. People who have been following the spoilers know exactly what two cards we're talking about. And if they didn't, they know what we're talking about now because we're talking about them right after we talk about one of the best white spells ever to be printed. Let's talk about Hole Breacher and Opposition Agents one at a time. Hole Breacher is two and a blue for a creature Merfolk Pirate. It's a 3-2 with Flash. If an opponent would draw a card except the first one they drew in each of their draw steps, instead, you create a treasure token. Gross. Hey, Mike, you ever you ever heard of a of smothering tithe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I hear that is a pretty pretty good card. Yeah, like, smothering tithe is possibly the best is white card. Arguably that... <laughs> the the second best white card in the game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is, if not better than smothering tithe, it's easily on the same level. Oh sure, easily, and it costs one less, by the way, and it has flash. 
and it's in blue. So I we'll talk about. I'm gonna completely pop off in a minute, but let's go to the next one because we're talking about these two together. The second card is is opposition agent. It's two and uh-huh. a black. For a creature human rogue, it's a three two with flash, and they assure me, Mike, that these two are not part of a cycle. Bull- they're obviously part of a cycle. <laughs> Oh, come on, man. Don't make me put the explicit... I'm going to have to flag stuff. Go ahead. It's a 3-2 with Flash. You control your (laughs) opponents while they're searching their libraries. While an opponent is searching their library, they exile each card they find. You may play those cards for as long as they remain exiled. You may spend mana as though they were any color to cast them. (sighs) Mike, I apologize for making you put on on the swear filter... But no, I just okay. I just think it's horse apples, if you'll pardon my <laughs> if you'll it's... pardon my French, that you can look at these two cards that are mechanically and flavorfully incredibly similar. They have the same keyword, they have the same power toughness, they're in the same set, they have the same mana cost, color shifted. That's I'm not gonna harp on this too much, but personally to me, from where I'm sitting pretty obvious these were at some point part of a set that white green and red did not get to be a part of that's just me but i'm not gonna harp on that too much let's let's talk a bit more about this so smothering tide it's two and two white or is it three and a white it's three and a white three and a white it's an enchantment that says uh whenever an opponent draws a card uh you may create a treasure token unless that player pays two which is great it's that, it's awesome Smothering Tithe is a complete and utter bomb. It sure. is... Hits ex- the table, everybody goes, ooh. It's exciting. They know they have to worry about it. It's game warping. Yep. You want to run it and you need to run it. It's it's great. It's... It's awesome. You you could argue it's the best white card in the format. I would say it's the second best white card in the format. I, I agree with you. I, I, there, it's it's not the best, but it's it's the best that happened for a long time. Right. It's it's great. It's fantastic. I have zero complaints about Smothering Tide until Hope Breacher came out. So I was gonna say, and with all of that said, yeah. Hope Breacher's better. Yeah, so Hope Hope Breacher is <laughs> from where I'm sitting, it's it's quite similar to Smothering Tide. So oh yeah, yeah. Smothering Tide, the opponent draws the card, and then you make a treasure unless they pay two. They don't pay two. You'll you'll make a treasure. And and Hope Breacher instead says if an opponent would draw any extra cards. So it's like Narset, they can draw the first card of the turn. But if they would draw any more, whereas Narset would stop them and not let them draw any more cards, Holbreacher says, not only do you not get to draw any more cards, but for each card you were going to draw, I'm going to get a treasure token. It's not whenever your opponents would draw one or more cards that weren't and you make a treasure token. Mm-hmm. It's... Instead, it's instead. So it's it replaces the draw effect, and you make that many treasure tokens. This smothering tide makes you treasure tokens, and they get to draw the card. And also, there's a yep. chance that you don't get the treasure token. Right. This one, you get the treasure token, and they don't get the card. So, I know that it's you can't really compare apples to oranges. These are two. One's an enchantment. One's a creature. Ones in blue, no, ones in white. But you're you're not you're from, not com- it's not it's not apples to oranges. You're comparing. Oh, white got a new gun. Yeah, 
And Blue got a nuke. Exactly. Hole Breacher is immensely... It's, it's ridiculous. It's absurdly powerful. This is a complete windmill slam in every blue deck until the end of time. Yep. It's fantastic. This is... This is on the level of Ristic Study. I'm going to be flat out. This is as strong as Ristic Study. Now it's a creature, so it can be removed easier. Yep. But it's on that same power level, and Ristic Study is, what, a $20, $30 card? Can I, can I say something? To Please make do. You I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Mad? No, to make you mad. Go for it. I think it's better. And that's, that's there's arguable. a lot of people I mean, that's that... Fine. There's a lot of people that will, you know, oh, hey, it's, I, I think you're overreacting. Oh, it's a loss in the moment kind of thing. Here's the deal. We talk a lot about symmetrical effects. This turns half of those symmetrical effects mm-hmm. into good luck. I'm going to screw all of you over. You know what would go really well in Hullbreacher? Temple Bell. Dictative Crew Fix. Oh, my God. All of these things that say, everybody draw more cards. By the way, instead of you drawing cards, I'm going to draw extra cards, and I'm also going to be able to make some treasure tokens. Hull Breacher can pay for itself in the turn that it comes out with literally, I don't know, 80% of the, the card draw symmetric effects that exist. Everybody hates Narset, the Planeswalker that says yeah. that Windmill doesn't help you. Or Windfall doesn't help you. This is Great. better than Narset. Because you can flash it in and you get extra value. Why from would your they print not strictly better Narset? What were they thinking? It's. I don't even know how to temper how much time we talk about this card. Because That's fair. It's we need to stop at busted. some point, right? It, well, well it, you're saying this as me being the voice of reason. I'm saying this as. This is an immensely powerful spell. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe talk to me in six months. Do I think it's still more powerful than Ristic Study? The answer right now is yes. Then, I don't know, because you're right. It is a creature. Dies to removal. Dies to lightning bolt. Stuff like that. Cool. Totally understand. I think the other card is more powerful. Yeah, let's, Opposition let's Agent bothers opposition me agent. so much more than Hull Breacher, yeah. and Hull Breacher would be yeah. something that blew up my brain in any yeah. other set. Wow, so Opposition Agent, basically, whereas Hole Breacher is, like, if you take Narset, one of the meanest cards in the format, and you make her even meaner and even better, and harder to remove yeah. because you can attack Narset. Right. Can't attack Hole Breacher, got a spot remove. Yep. Opposition Agent is, like, Stranglehold. Good luck finding or, an answer. Or Ashiok. But you know, you know, Mike... You know what card I would compare Opposition Agent to most directly? What's that? Aven Mind Sensor. <laughs> now, Aven Mind Sensor, <laughs> I believe it's three and a white for a creature. It's a bird. Uh, and it says, uh, whenever an opponent would search their library, instead they search the top four cards of their library instead. Very powerful effect. It saw a lot of effect. play in a lot of formats. It hoses... A ton of tutor effects, very strong, very, very strong. It's a, if I play this at the right moment, I'm going to win the game. 
because you can play that card as a, oh, this person's going to find their card and they're going to tutor for their card that's going to stop me from winning. Mm-hmm. No, you're not. Unless it's in the top four. Good luck. Yep. Hoses fetch lands. It's, it's rough. Yep. It, it's, it is a it is a feel bad to play against. It is. Here's the problem. Nobody nobody plays that card, Mike. Nobody plays nobody plays Haven Mind Sensor because it's not good it's enough. It's not fun. It's not fun and it's it, not it's, good enough. So yeah, it, it's it's missing both of the things that you want to have. You have to have at least good or fun. And it's neither. At least most of the time it's neither. It's it's not good enough. Because there's another card called Ashiok. It was printed yeah. a, a couple of years ago. It's a planeswalker. If we're comparing Narsa to Horbreacher, this is Ashiok. That said, uh, your opponents can't search their library, right? This is way, way stronger than Avon Mind Sensor. It's way stronger than Ashiok. It's way stronger than Stranglehold. This is. This is a demon. Let's let's read this card one more time. You mm-hmm. control your opponents while they're searching your libraries. While an opponent is searching their library, they exile each card they find. Let me translate that for you. While you are searching your opponent's library, you exile each card you find. You may play those cards for as long as they remain exiled. Translate that one. That means that after they remove Opposition Agent, you can still play them. Yep. You may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to cast them. Mike, why does this card exist? <laughs> um, you said that you are upset. I am upset. They, that they said that these are not part of a cycle, right? They said they're not. I don't believe them. Okay. I would be more upset if they're telling the truth. If you're going to make effects like this, if you're going to make cards like this... Mm-hmm. And you do not make one in every color. I'm going to get mad. Well, Mike, because at that point you are just saying, "Nah." <laughs> like, and I'm I'm the biggest I'm the biggest opponent of make cards that go into every deck. Mm-hmm. If you asked me if I think Soul Ring should be banned or not, I'm going to say yes. It probably should be. I know how hell and, and, and ugh, you're getting you're you want to ban cards? No, I don't. But I don't think Soul Ring should be a thing. I'm not mad that it's a thing. I'm saying if you asked me in a vacuum, should it exist? No, because it goes in every deck. And even if you remove 1% of the interesting types of things that you can put into your deck because you have to have this, then I don't want it. I don't like that Arcane Signet followed it up. I don't like that these cards... Like I said, I'm excited about Keeper of the Accord because it needs to exist... I'm sad that it needs to exist and I have to put it in cards, but I'm happy that it exists at the same time. I understand how all over the place that is. Sorry, you're just going to have to deal with it because that's how ridiculous this is. This is how backwards the thinking is. So if you tell me that Hole Breacher and Opposition Agent aren't part of a cycle, that means that you made two cards that are absolutely dies to removal. Sure. They are flashed in instant. You're going to feel terrible about the thing you're doing because I am playing a card that is going to stop you from doing the thing you're doing 
I'm going to get a ridiculous amount of value out of it. The end. Oh, by the way, if anybody else tries to follow up and do a similar effect, good luck. You better have some kind of removal in your hand. I know for a fact that if I play a hole breacher or if I play an opposition agent and I'm in last place in the game, I'm not making any friends. There's no way. It is ridiculously oppressive. It is ridiculously powerful. If they only make these two, I'm bummed out. If they release the other three for a cycle, I'm a different type of bummed out, but at least it's across the board. I don't I don't know, Alex. I'm flabbergasted. I'm full-fledged. I don't know how to deal with this. Mike, I'm I'm shocked and appalled, but I'm not surprised. And okay. and you know I'm not surprised. Let's let's talk about the fact that this isn't a cycle. You can, we can take them at their word. I I don't want to, but we can. Do you remember uh last set it was the inscription cycle? Now that was a cycle. That was a modal Help spell cycle. The inscription cycle had you choose a, a number of modes and Mike they only printed Three of the cards in that cycle. They printed it for yeah. green, blue, and black. And Correct. when when pressed on the issue, they said, yes, this is indeed a cycle. We couldn't think of anything good and interesting to print on the white and red versions, so we just didn't print them. And you know what? At least they're honest. Because yeah. I think you know exactly what would have happened if they printed the white and red versions they would have been crummy, disappointing, yep. last place crap that you're not going to run. And the same thing would have happened if they printed a white hole breacher or a red opposition agent. Uh, red, maybe not so much because red's doing a lot better. But we're, we're, I'm complaining about white. That's, that's my pity party right now. Opposition agent really can't be political, Mike, because you cannot exactly. allow your opponent to search for a card. It's fully under your control. There are two options. Either you steal the card out of their library or you don't search at all. There is no third option where they get to search and you let them search. It's not in the text. Gavin Gavin Verhey, who is a major player at Wizards, very respectable. I respect his work immensely. He works very hard. He wrote a very long Twitter thread about these because when I look at these and when you look at these, I think a lot of people looked at these cards, Hole Breacher and, and Oppo Agent, and they said, you know, I figure that those effects probably could have been white. And that's that's a mantra that we've repeated for a very long time mm-hmm. for a lot of cards that we've seen. Like Confounding Conundrum and lots of lots of other cards. And I think that that annoys people a bit to just hear the same thing over and over. People who don't care about care about white, that annoys them. Um, so Gavin Verhey addressed those issues. And he wrote many, many, many tweets about it. I'm not going to read that whole thread because it would take like five, ten minutes. But it it really puts a very fine point on why this bothers me so much. So let's summarize what Gavin says. 
Gavin says that Commander is a unique format for for the game of Magic. The game of Magic, as it was originally designed, was a two-player, one-on-one heads-up competitive format in constructed with repeats of cards. You were allowed to have you were allowed to have four of a card. That's a completely different ballpark, as any commander player knows. Legacy and Commander have almost the same legality. The ban list is a little different. But the the game of Legacy and the game of Commander are completely different. And that's because of that core difference. You only have one opponent. You have 60 cards in the deck instead of 100. You can have four ofs. It's, it's just a very different game. And, and because of those differences, the core synergies and utilities of the five colors of magic don't really play in the same way in Commander that they do in the competitive formats, especially white and red. Because white and red traditionally were very combat-focused colors, and as we've discussed, Mike, combat is really difficult in Commander. It needs a lot of help. So that's that's the given that he's starting from, and I agree with him. That's That's true. From there, he talks about how, over time, that Watsi has printed spells in red that allow the colors to take a foothold and allow red to draw cards with impulse draw and allow red to ramp and allow red to cycle and political disrupt decorum, cascade. Red has gotten a lot, a lot of help. And it's not number one, but I'll tell you right now, it's not last place. They've put a lot of effort into red and they've done a good job and I respect them for that. It's relevant that he brought that up. He then transitions to talk about white. He says to do the same thing for white, it's going to take time. And I agree, it's going to take time. And then he'll close out. He says that technically opposition agent and hole breacher because of the specific nature of their effects couldn't be printed in white, which may be true. I'm not an expert on the color pie. That's not really my purview as a judge. It's technically white can't control another player, but that's not the, that wasn't the issue. The issue is that with minor changes um, and some retemplating and some redesigns, they could have been white, but that's not what I'm trying to come across here. What I'm trying to come across here is the the crux of Gavin's argument is be patient. These things take time. We are printing the white cards. It will take time, which is fair. That's very fair. However, while you are taking your time and printing these white cards like Keeper of the Accord, like Smothering Tithe over the course of many years and making white slowly serviceable in our format, which it isn't yet, but I'm willing to trust it will be. As you slowly print those cards into the format, in the other colors, you're printing Hull Breacher and Opposition Agent. By the time that white gets to the power level of where those cards are at, I'm not saying by the time white gets its own Hull Breacher, but by the time a white Hull Breacher is something that's on the table, something of that power level, where do you think blue, black, and green are at that point in time? They're already out in the next decade. Because as we power up white very slowly and gradually, green, blue, and black 
are taken off the leash and get to run around in the backyard and be kings and gods and get the most busted crap like Hope Reacher and Opposition Agent. And Mike, I don't think that Watsi is prepared to address that disparity. So here's here's my thing, Alex. I I I think that of the two of us, we're both nice people, I believe. I think we're both positive people. When we talk magic, I think I am the I my my playmats are literally I have two of them. One is a whole bunch of corgis. And the other one is a corgi that is a knight. It has a sword and a banner. I can confirm. I've seen both of these. They're, they're I am corgis. a puppy. I am. I don't even have corgis. I just, I love them. Whatever. I'm a puppy. I am optimistic. I am loyal. And forgive the metaphor, but if you kick the dog, I'm the type that's not going to bite you for it. I'm just going to say, well, why are you mad at me? I'm sorry. And I feel like Wizards just keeps kicking. Because you said, you're, you referenced them saying, we couldn't put these cards in white. Because they aren't white effects. Talk to me about Archie, the turtle that says mm-hmm. things come in tapped or untapped, depending on what it does. Mike, I'm glad you mentioned Archie. And I don't, I want to let you talk as much as you, as you want to, but I want to insert this about about archie the turtle um which which let's let's remind our our listeners archelos is is a turtle that's uh it's one black green blue and it says uh if archie is untapped uh other permanents enter the battlefield untapped and if archie is tapped they enter the battlefield tapped so when in our last episode we were scratching our heads right trying to figure out this seems like a a mono white stacks effect Right. Or at the very least, it, it has white in it. Right. You it, know? White's somewhere in there. So what I what I found out since we recorded that is that uh, the reason why Archie is in Sultai, which is green, black, blue, instead of white, is because mm-hmm. there are several effects in this set that create tapped tokens, specifically tapped to two zombies. Mm. And the set designer wanted... To have a synergy between uh, things like Tormod that were making these tapped zombies sure. and having them enter untapped. And to me, I heard that and I think I lost about two or three years off my life. Because, <laughs> Mike, that is the worst excuse I've ever heard. And if it is a good excuse, why did you make the commander set a draft set? Okay. But I'm sorry. Please continue. I didn't no, mean to no, interrupt no. you. By all means, go on. You, if it means anything, you interrupted me with the information I was about to provide. So oh. that's good. That's just called back and forth. Here, Here's the second half of what, you, uh, what you're saying there. If that is your argument or if that is your reasoning, we didn't put this in white because the card itself synergizes with other effects that we've created in this set <laughs> that aren't white. Do not happen? tell me you can't make something in a color because it doesn't synergize with the other effects you've made in the colors. And also tell me that you can't make cool white cards. Make cool cards that synergize with white. It's an issue of the poor get poor, right? Like the set designers don't want to make, they can't make, they, they're cornered. 
they can't make interesting white effects because it's a catch-22. The white effects don't exist. They need they need permission from Morrow ends and goodness gracious, when we have our episode where we complain about white, which is rapidly becoming this episode. I'm trying not to. No, and, and but by we, the way, we talk about white, we're this ain't talk it. About Mark Rosewater's <laughs> uh, influence on white, but we're also going to talk about uh, Ari, aka Sixth Commas, who is the the current color czar of white, um, and talk about his influence. That's, uh, in my opinion, starting to bring the color into a more sane direction. But mm-hmm. I don't think that Ari had any influence on <laughs> on whether Archie was soul tie or not. Uh, sure. Because if he did, sure. he might have said, hey, guys, I think Archie's mono white. <laughs> Help. <laughs> yeah. Does Archie have a brother that's white? Can we <laughs> can we do something? Uh, I'd say Jughead, it, but Jughead's probably black. Oh, that's fair. So here's the other thing here. And you you might totally disagree with this, and that's fine. Um, of the cards that we talked about on our previous episode and the ones that we talked about today, if we ignored Hull Breacher and Opposition Agent, my biggest winners of the state were Bo- of the set were Boros. Because mm-hmm. the cards that you can play in red or white in this set feel kind of cool. Like it's it, it maybe it's not the most powerful stuff, but it's it's some of the most interesting stuff to me. Mm-hmm. White and red have a lot of cool things. And that's not something I say very often. And then you have things like Hull Breacher and Opposition Agent thrown into the mix. And our last card as another, well, this is going to go into every, if 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 not every deck, a vast majority of decks slot this in immediately. And whatever, we'll get there. Do you remember when Dockside Extortionist came out? I do. The outcry on that card of it being extremely powerful was loud. I don't think there were a lot of people that talked about how it was an unfair card versus how powerful it was. It's a very good card. It's a very very powerful effect. Very strong. I don't think at the same time acknowledging both of those things. And it's a red card. Yes. So it's a card that, sure, this is awesome. It goes in just about every red deck without a problem. The amount of pushback on that card is so small compared to these two, at least in, in from me, because it is a weaker color, it is a weaker effect, it is a smaller creature for one less mana, it does not have flash, it does not have half of the power. It doesn't stop your opponents from doing anything. If... If they made Dockside Extortionist in this set and they put it on oh. the same level of... If they did it in this set and they put it on the same level of these cards, it would have to blow up all of those artifacts and enchantments. And it still wouldn't be as powerful as Whole Breacher and Opposition Agent. No, Mike, I'd tell you what it would do. It would gain control of all of those artifacts permanently. Do you have anything else that you want to say on these cards? From a lot of people whom I've talked to... They're not they're not delusional. They understand that these cards are very, very strong. They're very, very oppressive. They're complete bombs. They stop your opponents from doing things and they give you strong value. The effects are sort of tax and punish, which feels intrinsically very white, but they're not printed in white. And 
as I said to my main point, as strong as these are for blue and black, two years from now, blue and black will be getting something stronger than this. And two years from now, white will be getting something that's not half as strong as this. And that's the real problem. As much as they try to fix white, they're starting behind the start line. That feels like the trend. Exactly. Let's move on to our final card, Mike. The yeah, card let's that, move on to... That everyone's yeah, talking about. Yeah, let's move on to cards uh, from these cards that are causing a whole lot of disruption and problems to a much more simpler card that no one has any issues with. Jeweled Lotus. Uh, zero mana artifact. Tap it. Sacrifice Jeweled Lotus. Add three mana of any one color. Spend this mana only to cast your commander. Alex... I know we I know we just got off of a, a little bit of a heated moment with some cards. We're ending with this one for a couple of reasons. Why don't you go ahead and start? Sure. Um, I'd like to start with the flavor text of the card. Sure. Which says, I've seen my share of baubles, Minister. Whatever ostentatious bit of glitter you have won't convince me to... Oh, my. And that's... <laughs> <laughs> That's basically the attitude we have, right? Because it yep. seems like every set up until now, Wizards has been printing these more and more ostentatious artifacts. We got, uh, what was that? Prismatic, uh, Prismatic Lantern, I think. What was, it was, it was, mm -hmm. it tapped for five colorless and colorless mana could be spent as any color of mana. Yes, yes, yes. And a few sets ago, we got, uh, the three mana rock that had all activated abilities of all lands on the battlefield. And it, it just seems like, I don't know if they haven't learned their lesson from, from Mirrodin or, or what, but artifacts are strong. Like, you know, artifacts are strong. I know artifacts are strong. Yeah. And the obvious comparison that they are, perfectly happy and encourage you making is of course black lotus the most infamous card in the game it's banned in every format except vintage and it says zero mana tap sacrifice this artifact at three mana of any color this is notably different absolutely but very similar also absolutely now it has that limitation on how you spend that mana Mm -hmm. And that really can't be ignored. That brings it down from the most broken card ever made in the history of the game. Oh, God, ban it from every format until the end of time. Down to, in my opinion, I'm just going to put it out there. This is where Mana Crypt is. Jeweled Lotus is roughly on the same amount of power as Mana Crypt, which is a card that says uh, it's zero mana artifact that says at the beginning of your upkeep, uh, flip a coin, and if you lose the flip, you lose three life. And it says tap add double colorless. Now that card is very strong. It's very, very strong. It's, it's very expensive. It, it's very expensive. If the power nine had a tenth card, the power ten probably be mana crypt. And then the eleventh one would probably be soul ring. Um, but the, the tenth one would, would be mana crypt. Mana crypt is a fantastically powerful artifact and realistically speaking it does go in every deck more or less yeah. there are some decks that don't want it 
because they have so much colored mana cost that they can't afford to play it. That's fair. Right. What you're not- what you're saying is Mana Crypt, Mana Crypt isn't out of decks because it's not good enough to go in those decks. It's out of decks because of availability and cost. Exactly. And also, there's a third reason. Because Mana Crypt is very powerful, a lot of players, even if they are able to run it, they still don't. Sure. Because Commander's a casual format, and we all have this ongoing anxiety are my decks at the correct power level of where I want them to be? Are they too strong? Are they too weak? If your deck has Mana Crypt in it, you start to ask these questions. Is my deck getting too strong? That's that's a that's an anxiety right. you might have. And so even if you have $100 plus to slam down on the Mana Crypt, you still might not play it, Mike. And I think this is about where we're going to see the Jeweled Lotus. If you have a lot of money and you're okay with making your deck more powerful in the same way that it would make it more powerful if you added a Mana Crypt, then you would, of course, put this in almost any deck. But it is very expensive, and it is very powerful, and so because of those two reasons, I don't think you'll see very much of this card, Mike. That's my point. I've said it a couple of times now in this episode in particular, and I think I've said it in previous episodes, and I can't stand cards that say put in every blank deck. Mm-hmm. And I'm talking about I can't stand I can't stand source sort of feast and famine because it goes in any deck that you want to attack with a creature. Ever. It goes in every Voltron deck. It goes it's a very powerful card. I've absolutely got one. I've absolutely got it in a deck. I don't like when they print cards like that. And that is on the super, super low end of the type of cards that I'm talking about. I don't like Soul Ring. I don't like Arcane Signet. I don't like these things that take away from the creativity of building a deck. And at the same time, I understand that the counter argument is, well, then don't do that. The problem Mm -hmm. is if I don't do that, I'm putting such a handicap on myself in the long term in winning a game. And I'm also probably putting a handicap on myself for enjoying the game because I can't keep up with the effects that other people are doing, especially if I'm not in the right colors, especially if I'm running just just Keeper of the Accord when they're running stuff like Hole Breacher and Opposition Agent. This is another card that goes into, what would you say, 90% of decks... Without an issue? You're suggesting that this is automatic... uh... So if everything else is even, you know what I mean? Yeah. If if you're building your deck optimally, which, again, this is a separate conversation, and what what Mike said is true, if you are seeing this kind of effect with your playgroup, and you're thinking, oh my god, this game's getting out of control... Control your meta. Power your decks down. We've had episodes about how you should and could do just that. However, play less tutors, play more symmetrical effects, etc. Exactly. Right. If you're not doing that and you are building your deck optimally up to around the eights, we're not going to talk about CEDH. That's not my area. I'm sure CEDH is just having a ball over this, but we're not going to talk about them. We're going to talk about the top end of casual decks. 
and the top end of casual decks, how many of those decks want Mana Crypt? It's above 95%. That's about right. where Jeweled Lotus is going to be. <laughs> Jeweled Lotus is a little bit less than that, maybe, because... Um, There's it, some restriction to it. Right, and, and not all commander decks need to cast their commander. For example, Edgar Markov, very popular. You never cast him, right? Um, there, there are situations like that. There are five-color decks where the, they never cast their commander because it's just there to, to be a five-color commander. So there are plenty of decks that this is not desirable in because the commander's too many colors or because you don't intend to cast the commander or because you intend to cast your commander many, many times, but you have no artifact recursion. And so I think that brings this down to comfortably between 80 and 90%. If you're building your deck at about an 8 or a low 9, I'd say there's an 8 out of 10 chance that this card's a windmill slam in your deck. And I think that attests to what Mike is saying here, that this card is all but necessary if you're playing for keeps. If you're playing to win, you're playing Mana Crypt, you're playing Jeweled Lotus, you're playing Holbreacher and Opposition Agent, you're playing all those top end of those cards. And because you're playing all of those effects, your decks are becoming less unique, more streamlined, more consistent, more like a competitive deck. And that's not where I want my decks to go. It's okay if you want Mm -hmm. your decks to go that direction, but that's not really what our podcast is about, right? There's a ton of other podcasts, and I'm not saying stop listening to us because we love you, but this podcast is more about playing the fun way, maybe slowing things down, having a good time, powering down your decks, playing symmetrical effects, If you want to play at that very high level, I guarantee you there is a plethora of Commander content dedicated to you. Lab Maniacs, Spike Feeders, uh, even the Command Zones pushing high level. They're not CEDH, but they're pushing up there. They just had an episode where they said Chromatic Lantern wasn't good enough anymore. Okay. I I love you, Josh and Jimmy. Chromatic Lantern. We're not... We're not getting into that. I, We're not. I had I agree a with you, Mike. This, this card's a problem. I love them. I love them. We're not getting into that episode. We're not. They Don't did, worry about it. Because it made me sad. Um, here's the thing. Jeweled Lotus is a very potent card. It, it has a lot of weight to it. It has a lot of ability to make your deck go faster, go better. You know what? Even if, it, if they had done... If it was one mana, this would still be a really, really, really good card. If it said exile jeweled well, lotus, lotus instead of sacrifice it, right? like yeah. it'd be a worse lotus battle. Yeah, and you know what? That would still make it really, really good. I'm not here to say that this is a bad card. Like it exists. That's fine. I'm okay with the idea, even that. Wizards has to basically every set say, we're going to make this ridiculous card because if we make this ridiculous card, people are going to talk about it. And when people talk about it, that's good for us. Mm-hmm. I'm fine with all of that. I'm, I, I like when cards are ridiculous and they're powered and they're pushed and they belong somewhere, not everywhere don't understand the people that say that this is not as good as or this is basically a, a ritual spell 
I don't understand the argument that, well, this doesn't go in these, any, any commander that's three color. This isn't, it's a zero mana, add a mana to make your commander come out. I understand that it's not the, if it, oh, well, you're thinking about if it's the turn one play Urza kind of stuff. No, I'm not. I'm thinking that this is a ridiculously powerful card. It goes in just about, it goes in a vast, vast majority of decks if you have one and you want your deck to be more powerful. And that just doesn't sit well with me by itself. It's not a bad thing that it exists. It just, it, it doesn't fit me. And if it fits you, that's fine. If it doesn't, I with you. I, I understand. I agree with you, Mike. It's, it's, it's an ongoing issue. And the recent Command Zone episode really brought it to the forefront, forefront of a lot of people's minds that mm-hmm. this format is speeding up. It's faster right. than it was three years ago by a lot. I don't necessarily think that it's that it's reactionary to want to 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 slow that roll because I don't think that wanting that hurts anybody. I'm not going to go out and say everyone who's playing high power commander is a jerk because I don't believe No, that. not at I all. I don't. We're all playing this game to have fun and if you want to be a part of that arms race more power to you my friend. But this this is why we have this podcast. In your playgroup, in your store, when the store is open, with your people, with your friends, you don't have to run Jeweled Lotus. And I'm not saying that like, oh, it's not a problem because you don't have to run it. It is a problem. And because it's a problem, I want you to strongly consider not playing it. If you intend for your deck to not be the most powerful that it can be. Because that's something that's important to me when I'm building my decks I don't want them to be extremely powerful. I want them to be fun for the table and for me to play. And just because you have a card like Mana Crypt or Jeweled Lotus in your deck, that doesn't make it unfun or fast automatically. Because as you were saying, Mike, some colors need the help. In a mono white deck, this probably isn't even that broken. But in some decks, this card accelerates an already fast deck to even faster levels. And it's a windmill slam in those decks. And you're exactly right. We're seeing a pattern over the course of years where we're seeing more and more pushed cards. We're seeing it in Standard 2, where Wizards is coming out with very, very exciting, splashy, powerful cards that are accelerating the format. And Wizards is not going to ever slow down. I'll tell you that right now. No, This is is going to keep happening. So it is up to you. If you see this card and it makes you uncomfortable and you don't want to see it in your format, in your in your playgroup, start powering your decks down. And Mike, I think we should have an episode about how best to power your deck down. I don't I don't think we've really talked about that yet. Um because I think that would be that'd be a good episode to talk about. I'm I'm more than happy to do that. And yep. so and and the last point on this card which is also kind of leading into our last point overall. I don't want people to think this is of a doom and gloom set. I don't want, like, the actual power creep that's happened in this set. There are a couple real busted cards. But, all in all, looking top to bottom, I kind of like this set. 
I think it did some interesting stuff, some weird stuff. It introduced a bunch of mechanics that I get excited about when I play them and even when other people play them. I like Cascade. I like Monarch. I like these things that they put back out there. I like the political cards that they put out. I like the... I like what they did as a whole. And I feel like they gave me this really, really awesome dinner. And they offered me a mint at the end. And that mint was dirt. And that's the taste that's left in my mouth because of those couple of really good cards. And I keep telling myself, it's totally fine. Don't worry about that. This was planned off of a draft format. A draft format means that somebody really wants to get that card. And if they do, holy cow, that's going to be awesome. And that's what their entire deck is going to be revolved around. But this is Commander. And as a whole, I think they did some really interesting things. I, did, I think they tried some stuff that I wouldn't have expected them to try in a good way. Because it's, it's cards. Shake things up. All in all, I like the set. We did a Twitter poll. Vast majority of people happy with the cards that came out. Happy with the set. I'm happy overall. But there's just something to be said where I am worried that if this set goes well, I don't want it to go well because these awesome, game-breaking really easy to cast, really makes the game go faster for you, pretty oppressive cards. I don't want it to be the lesson learned that, oh, we should do more of that. Because at that point, you're forcing everybody to play competitive EDH. And you're turning the competitive EDH game into Formula One racing. Have fun with your decks have fun building your decks have fun with your playgroup if your fun is hull breach hull breacher that's okay it's not my fun but that's okay that it's your fun the same reason why a lot of people get annoyed when lab man comes onto the battlefield or why a lot of people don't run lab man is because it can just get to a <sighs> kind of feeling I like this set as a whole I like a lot of the cards I like way more of the cards than I don't but some of these things that they're doing some of the cards that they released make me very very cautious and that is not a feeling I want to have playing a card game with my friends yeah, Mike, I, I think we're on the same page here. This set is fun. I saw a lot more political and group hug style cards than I was expecting to. That was a pleasant surprise. I love seeing new political cards. I'm very oh, happy with, with the number of political cards. And Mike, you know, you know me. It's been a long time since I've seen a commander and it reached out to me and, and made me want to build them. And in this set... It's possible that that might have just happened with with Belbe, and and that's yeah. very exciting for me, and and I don't want to poo poo on this set because mm -hmm. it's a good set. They did a good job, 
but you're right. There's, there is that aftertaste that they're pushing the power and they're not pushing it towards a place of more even balance where it's like, oh, wow, this whole set, like all the colors are so strong now. No, it's a few colors are extremely strong. And then also the power level overall is increasing, but the rising tide doesn't float all ships. It's it's floating blue, black, and green the most. And it's floating the competitive uh, side the most with cards like Jeweled Lotus. And just the fact that they printed those in this set, you're right, it does kind of take away a little bit of that happiness. And that's a shame, Mike. A rising tide... It's not the rising tide that lifts all boats. They finally gave white a life preserver. Mm -hmm. And then they also gave blue and black a couple of jet skis. Hell yeah. Which is awesome. It's not awesome. For them. It's awesome for them. It's awesome for them. Um, White's going to get splashed. Uh, Uh, um, Hey, wait. That's pretty funny. White does get splashed a lot. See? It's not good enough by itself. (laughs) <laughs> it's I try I try what I can. Yeah. Guys, again, the set's cool. Go pick it up whether you're actually in a position where you're in the future and you can actually do a draft with people, be safe. Do something online, pick up your singles, do whatever it is. Do what's going to make you have the most fun playing the game. Whether it's competitive, whether it's just picking up a couple of cards, whether it's saying this is a really weird white uncommon legendary. I'm serious. I'm going to make that art in deck and I'm extra- I'm extremely excited about it. I want to see it. Do what's going to make you happy. Anything you want to leave us with, Alex? Not like that's just about it. It's we we get really excited on this show and and as magic players, we get very invested in the game of magic and it's very easy to go doom and gloom. Say, "Oh, such and such is ruining magic. The Walking Dead's going to ruin magic. Uh, these reprints are going to ruin magic. Like the Ultimate Masters, the pricing is going to ruin magic. It's yes, Wizards does some things that frustrate us a lot all the time, and it seems like they never stop. Magic's not going to die. It's not going to. It's not going to happen, and it's not going to happen because of this. But all the same, it is our responsibility as casual players, if you indeed are and want to remain a casual player to keep a very close eye on your meta. And if you're seeing that your decks are creeping up there, because as as a lot of other people have noted, as you generally and slowly improve your decks with cards that you see in each set, your deck's going to become more powerful. Um, just keep an eye on it, right? It Don't, don't immediately throw in that whole breach. You're like, wow, what a bomb. Think about it for a minute, right? Think about if your deck wants to be that strong. That's that's all I have to say about this set, Mike. I'm I'm happy, but I'm also a little bit. It's a little bittersweet. We're we are we are we have the tone and disposition that we do with the excitement that we do, because we love Commander, we love Magic, we love new cards, we love all oh, of this all. stuff. Don't don't misread our passion for hatred. It's it's concern. And concern's okay, because you're concerned about things that you love. Um, everybody, thank you for joining us this week. I think Alex and I are going to resolve to make a as much of an uplifting episode as possible for our next week. I, I don't want you to think that we're doom and gloom on this set, because again, it is cool. It is fun. 
but we'll follow we'll follow this episode up with something a little more bouncy and happy. Uh, everybody, thanks for listening. We'll be back with you soon. Remember, heroes get remembered, but ne- legends never die. Except for now they do, and then they go back into the command zone if you choose to replace it that way. But still, they only die for a little bit. We'll talk to you next time.